Welcome to this episode of Disease Du Jour on the topic of peripartum marinfold, what to look for, what to do. The Disease Du Jour podcast is brought to you in 2020 by Merck Animal Health. Our guest for this episode is Peter Morrissey, BVSC, MVM, MACVSC, and a diplomate of ACT and ACVIM. He is a shareholder of Rudin Riddle Equine Hospital. Dr. Morrissey graduated in 1988 from Massey University in New Zealand, where he practiced for several years. He undertook a theriogenology residency in 1996 at the University of Florida and completed a medicine residency at the same establishment in 2001. He then joined the faculty at the University of Pennsylvania's New Bolton Center before he became a part of Rudin Riddle in 2005. Thank you, Dr. Morrissey, for joining us today on Disease Du Jour to talk about the peripartum Marin Fold. Well, hi, Kim, and uh, it's really great to see you. Well, let's just start right in, and let's start with foals. If you as a veterinarian determine something is amiss with a newborn foal, where do you start? Yeah, that's a really good question, and uh, that's, you know, often where we get first involved. Um, foals tend to sort of hit some pretty predictable time points when they are first delivered. Uh, what you want to see is the foal delivered in a timely fashion. Within 10 minutes, this foal should be sitting upright under its own steam and starting to suckle the air or just starting to investigate its environment. I mean, foals are born really pretty ready to get up and go when everything's going right. Foals should make pretty good efforts to stand within 30 minutes. And within two hours, you want to see that foal up and associating with the mare and probably had its first feed as well. Um, and those are things you look for. So if a foal happens to miss those time points, that's your first indication that something's going wrong because the longer that foal spends on the ground, the more susceptible it's going to be to any infections that might be going on. But it's also a good indication of how that foal's late in utero environment has been and how the delivery has been. And mares foal, we'll talk a bit about mares later, and mares foal very quickly, right? They've been doing it a whole lot longer than we've been messing around with them, and we think we know what's going on. Mother Nature is the expert. We're all amateurs. The mare should you know, have a period where she's restless. That's called stage one labor, and that can sometimes go for hours to days. Stage two is when they actually lie down and start pushing. People talk about when their water breaks, and that's when the abdominal contractions start. And that mare should pop that foal out in 15 to 30 minutes. And if it's taking any longer than that, or if there seems to be some excessive sort of um, uh, activity from the mare, and like she's really struggling during that time, time to intervene. And so that foal is born very, very quickly. And then third stage labor is when the placenta's pass, and that's usually you know within 30 minutes, sometimes a little bit longer. But getting back to the foal, if that mare has that foal in a timely fashion, and if that foal hits the time points we talked about, you're in pretty good shape, right? Any problems that happen come along a little bit later, and we'll talk about those. But that act of being delivered, it should hit those time points, and that foal should hit those goalposts and get up and get around. Because, you know, a horse is a, is a prey animal, right? I mean, mares, they foal at night because that was a safer time to foal. You know, that actually makes perfect sense. So that foal has to be really ready to get up and go. And despite all of our attempts with selective breeding and all the clever management we think we have, the overriding thing with these horses is get born and get out of town because somebody's coming to eat you. Yeah. And that has not changed. Well, let's talk a little bit then when things aren't going quite right. Um, so when you get calls from farms and you see hundreds, if not thousands, of probably of foals a year, um, what is it that you're looking for in these foals that have made it through these first time periods? 
Okay, that's a really good question because we often get the, you know, something's just not quite right. And that's one of those things is often in life, you're looking at something and you don't know what the problem is, but you just know it isn't right. And so then it becomes a very nebulous thing to ask a lot of questions. You know, I ask a lot of questions about the delivery. Okay, how how fast was it? Did the foal hit its goalpost? Did it get up and associate with the mare in a timely fashion? And that foal is inquisitive, but shouldn't really want that much to do with you and me. That foal should bond to the mare pretty quickly. And then when you go into the stall, the foal may come up and be social, but then disappear to the far side of the mare. And we want to actually um, see that foal on that mare um, feeding um, fairly regularly. And that's one of the biggest problems we have is that people think, oh, yeah, the mare's you know, associated with the foal, the foal's associated with the mare, the, mare, the foal is going up underneath that mare and it's having a feed on a regular basis. When that foal, sometimes you look at them, they've got milk caked all over their face because the mare naturally lets down when the foal goes to have a feed. And if the foal's missing the udder and the milk's streaming down and hitting it in the face, you call it milk face, you think that foal's feeding, but it's not. And a hungry foal is a sick foal. And a sick foal is rapidly a dead foal because foals are only born with about 30 minutes worth of energy stores. So they got to get up, get that colostrum and get on the job pretty quickly. And also over the first few days of life, they need to be feeding on that mare regularly, sometimes multiple times an hour. Like a foal has a very limited um, range of activities. It's sleeping, it's eating, it's urinating, defecating, or doing all of those at the same time and then running around the place. I mean, that's what they do. And so if foals aren't doing those sorts of things regularly, you know you have a problem. But the first key to me is, you know, people bring these mares and foals into the hospital. I'm looking under the mare as they're walking in or the foals being carried in because I want to see if that mare is streaming milk. Because if she is, that means the foal's not taking care of that milk. Now, foals drink a lot. Right. They'll drink with by the time they get to seven to 10 days of life, they're drinking 20 to 25 percent of their body weight as milk. That is a lot of milk. So if you have your average like 50 kilogram, 55 kilogram thoroughbred foal, they're drinking 10, 11, 12 liters of milk a day. That is a lot of milk. And that is a huge energy cost to that mare to do that. So that foal has to be on that mare all the time to get that volume of milk in to maintain its growth and maintain its activity level. So if you're not seeing that foal urinating fairly regularly, and it's hard because some of them are sneaky peers, for want of a better word, but those foals are producing upwards of six mils per kilogram per hour of urine. And so that's a lot. So they'll be actually urinating quite a lot to actually get that volume through. So if you don't see that foal defecating regularly, if you don't see it urinating regularly, if you see it strained to do either one of those things, huge red flag because they can have ruptured bladders, um, if they don't pass the meconium in a timely fashion, I mean, that should be all gone pretty quickly, you know, the straining. And the way to tell the difference is when they're struggling to urinate, they dish their back down. When they're actually struggling to defecate, they arch their back up. And so often people would say, oh, the foal is having trouble defecating, giving it multiple enemas and it's still straining. Yeah, that's because it has a ruptured bladder and no amount of enemas is going to help. And so it's really a case of having a really good knowledge of what the foal's behavior is. Again, up, Adam, on the mare on a regular basis. When it's not, it's sleeping and urinating, defecating a lot and regularly. And let's talk about maybe some of the problems that you see with some of these foals that um, you walk in, they're not doing right. What, what are some of the questions that you're asking? You mentioned you, you ask about the birth and did mm -hmm. they hit the marks. What else are you looking for as a veterinarian to try and pinpoint what you might need to do next for this foal? 
Yeah, and, and alluding to a little bit of what I've said before, it's activity level. If this foal's standing around and not associating with the mare, we've got a problem. These foals that wander off and stand in the corner and look in the corner um, are a big problem because it means mentally these foals aren't with it. So if there's been any compromise in late pregnancy or there's been any compromise during delivery, sometimes you get these what's known as dummy foals, right? And basically what that's telling you is this foal's mentation is not quite right because it's been oxygen or blood deprived during delivery or just before. And so they go through a period where they have a little bit of brain swelling. And this period is actually pretty easy to treat and it's transitory. But if you don't intervene, these foals don't eat. As I said, they're not born with very much energy. They become prey to infection and they do not last very long at all. And getting an adequate amount of colostrum is very, very important. I asked the question, did this foal get a good amount of colostrum? Did you test the mare's colostrum when the foal was born? Um, and did you make sure that the foal actually had an adequate feed of that? Now, if the mare had an issue, placentitis, or she had issues, let's say, um, with fescue toxicosis that occurs around here, she may not have produced an adequate amount of colostrum. Or if the mare is systemically compromised herself, I mean, she's going to preserve herself before she looks after the foal. We're going to make sure that foal got adequate colostrum. And if it didn't, we know, yeah, it may have had what looked to be enough to eat, but it didn't get its immunoglobulins, didn't get its immunity from the mare that's so important in that first feed within the first definitely 24 hours, but really within the first 12 hours or so, did not get that feed of colostrum, um, you know it's going to be susceptible to any infection. And the thing with these neonatal foals is most of these problems look the same. If I had an issue being born and I have, you know, I'm hypoxic insult, I'm the dummy foal, if I have an infection, if I have uh, the problem where they have uh, neonatal isoerythrolysis, where they actually have antibodies from the mare's colostrum that attack their red cells, all of those problems initially can look very much the same. And the cues we look for are the foal's behavior. Is it running a fever? Is it cold? Are its extremities cold? You open its mouth and you have a look. Are its membranes pink or are they pale? Or do they look a little bit yellow? So you look for all of those sorts of things. But the first thing I get back to that draws my attention to that foal, it is not associating with the mare and it's not explain, it's not displaying that behavior that you expect them to do because they are, they're born so precocious. They can get up, they can run away very, very quickly. And if they're not doing any of those things within the first few days of life, you've got a problem. They're born much more able to look after themselves than we ever were. And that's because they're a prey animal. And that's because they need to get up and get out of there. So any of those subtle behavioral deficiencies are a huge red flag to me. Other things to think about with these foals, are, you know, you lay your hands on them, you have a feel. And anatomically, does this foal feel okay? Uh, do the joints feel okay? Um, are there any sort of tenderness laxity? Are there any deviations of the legs? Um, you learn a lot by looking in the mouth. And you know, sometimes these foals do some bad things. They can have some transient seizure activity. And you don't see anything, but you open their mouth. Sometimes you'll see that they've banged up their mouth, right? Because they've hit the ground and nobody's been around. You want to make sure they don't have a cleft palate. Like, is there milk at the nostrils, right? That is a huge red flag. Is there milk at the nostrils after the foal suckles? Puts its head down, milk runs out. That can be a cleft palate, which is regrettably a, a mortal disease in these foals uh, most of the time. 
unless it's a very small defect that can be fixed, but that's fairly heroic. Or is there a functional um, issue going on with the pharynx and the foal can't swallow properly? And again, that can be a manifestation of the dummy foal syndrome or vitamin E selenium deficiency. I mean, those things are fixable, but again, you've got to look at the anatomy and see if that's why the problem is. And look at the eyes of this foal. Are they clear? Is there any signs of ulceration? Uh, lift up the upper eyelid and have a look to see, is the sclera discolored? Is there any bruising there that may indicate the foal was um, delayed during passage through the vaginal canal. Are there any signs of bleeding? Could be the foal is septic and is actually having some problems that way. Are the sclera discolored? Are they yellow again for the um, the NI problem I talked about? So you learn a huge amount just by laying your hands on, looking at the mouth and the eyes of these foals, feeling the limbs, feeling down over the rib cage of the foal. Um, sometimes just swaying the foal from side to side slightly to see if you feel any clicking. Maybe there's a fractured rib. Maybe as you run your hands down the rib cage, there's a little bit of pain there. Sometimes the ribs are just cracked and not displaced. And as you move back, you have a fairly umbilical area, see if there's a hernia. Um, in the case of a male foal, we want to actually have a look and a feel uh, around the scrotum to make sure there's no gut in there because sometimes they have a scrotal hernia. And then just lift the tail up and make sure that anything, everything is anatomically correct under there. And if it looks like the foal after those first day or so of life is actually passing yellow-orange milk feces as opposed to still straining past meconium. And you can learn a lot in a very short period of time just by putting your hands on that foal and some few minutes you spend looking at that foal is just standing back, letting the foal behave as it's behaving, watching its interaction with the mare and making sure that that unit is doing what it's supposed to be doing because some of these mares are pretty sneaky. I mean, they'll, they're, they're fine when you're there, but they'll reject those foals when you're not. And so sometimes this foal's got a little bit of damage or looks a bit hungry because the mare is actually roughhousing the foal. So sometimes just have a little peek in the stall where nobody can see you and just make sure that everybody's behaving themselves like they're supposed to. That's a good point. Um, something that when I was reading some of uh, some of the things that you had written, you mentioned IUGR, interuterine growth retardation, and I hadn't heard of that before. Yeah. No, there are veterinarians out there who occasionally get called out to rescues or to farms, and they're not really a repro vet. So, I thought maybe we would talk about some of these other things. Yeah, okay, that's good. And again, some of the things we've talked about with this foal being slow to get out of the gate are a manifestation of that. And the foal's in, um, in utero environment was compromised. And that can go to a couple of things. There may have been a placental issue. Yeah, and that's why when the foal's born and the placenta is passed, it's so important to have a look at that, not only to make sure that it's intact and you've not got a piece left in there that's actually going to cause serious problems for that mare, but just get a general look at both sides of the placenta. Now, the, the side of the placenta that she um, contacts the uterus is very important because the integrity of that surface area and its normal development is directly responsible for how many groceries that foal had in utero. So if you stand back and look at this foal and say, yeah, it looks a little bit ratty for the size of that mare, or um, it looks, uh, you know, just overall too small or it looks a little bit out of proportion maybe it has like big head you know things just aren't in proportion you look at that placenta because that's directly responsible for how good that foal's done so the placenta when you look at it it should be red and velvety there shouldn't be any discolored plaques on it there shouldn't be any mucoid discharge on it there shouldn't be any areas uh, uh, large areas where they're actually devoid of villi so they're just essentially bald and white because it's telling you a lot about what the mare's uterus is like because if the mare's uterus is healthy and when the placenta is forming contacts it, they form a very intimate association 
Um, they call it Villas placentation um, because it's like lots of little finger-like projections going into the endometrium of the mare. And again, unless that is actually formed properly and unless it's actually functioning properly, this, this foal's got no chance because the foal is such a hungry little parasite inside that mare, for want of a better word. I mean, it gobbles up everything it can be given because they've got to grow so much. And their demands are so high that if there's any compromise to that placenta, you know you've got a problem. And we get these foals that come out and they look pretty decent. Then we look at the mare's placenta and go, holy cow, we better keep an eye on this one because we're fine now. But coming down the road, you know, we've got a problem because this placenta is telling us this foal didn't have the best in utero environment. And it may well be a developmental issue in that the mare's endometrium is not very good or it may be an infectious issue and when you look at the, the placenta you see areas where there might have been infection or you look at the placenta and the foal didn't break through the cervical star properly or you look there it was very thickened or the the client will comment yeah i had to break the placenta it wasn't it wasn't breaking properly you know that mares had an ascending placentitis and so the foal may have got through that but you know it's been challenged in utero because that infection there and it doesn't mean the foal has a bacterial infection but its immune system will have been turned on. So that foal, and you'll get clues in the blood work of that foal, it might be okay, but it's still another reason to have a close look at that foal to make sure that you're hitting your marks behaviorally, you're not running fevers, and you're actually getting on that mare and getting your groceries and developing. I mean, foals grow really fast when everything's right. I mean, they just mushroom. And if the foal's not doing that, it's got an issue. And the other thing to think about too with the placenta uh, the placenta is about um, 11% in thoroughbreds of the birth weight of the foal. And what I tell people to do is go get yourself a fishing scale. I mean, it costs you about $5. I mean, a lot of people have them. Um, in a trash bag, put the placenta in a trash bag and just weigh it and just get an idea. Is, is this placenta too heavy in relation to what the size of this foal is? Or is there a lot, is this uh, placenta very thick? Does it feel really meaty? Is there a lot of water that runs out of it when you actually put it in the bag? So you can learn a huge amount just by looking at that placenta. Look at the umbilical cord. Are there a lot of twists there? There should be about four naturally. Sometimes you look at there's multiple twists. It's really uh, uh, twisted tight into a rope. And that means that that foal's blood supply has been compromised at some point because that's its only attachment to the mare. Or you actually look at it and there may be uh, signs of infection along there, maybe sort of uh, fibrin or other um, inflammatory uh, signs there, or there may be hemorrhage where it's actually been stretched. So you learn a lot by looking at that as well, because if that placenta is compromised in any way, that foal has a question mark over it. And the placenta is a total reflection of how healthy that mare's uterus is. Because if the oven's broken, you can't really rely on getting a decent cake. Well, that, that's certainly true. And I guess uh, something that we, we need to talk about is rhodococcus equi. Okay, yep. Yep, um, yeah, rhodococcus. I mean, that is, uh, could be described as a bit of a nightmare. I mean, it's a very interesting disease. I mean, a lot is rhodococcus, but a lot is not known about rhodococcus. And what's really driven a lot of the research is um, rhodococcus um, equi. It's a free-living soil, what's called saprophyte, lives on dead material, right? So rhodococcus equi is almost everywhere on the planet. Certain rhodococcus have a special little um, genetic material piece that actually encodes for a virulence factor. And those are ones we have to worry about. And so if you have rhodococcus equi on your farm, if you have the rhodococcus that has this, uh, what's called that virulence associated um, protein, this plasmid, this piece of DNA, um, 
you've got a bit of a problem because you can't get rid of it. Now, all foals on your farm are going to be exposed. Some will have disease, some won't. And it seems to be the latest research is leading us down the road that depending on how fast that foal's immune system tends towards an adult pattern because they're born a little bit, um, they're immune competent, but they're sort of a little bit immune deficient. And that's why they need the colostrum. But they don't develop some of the inflammatory mediators and some of the drivers of their immune system until they're about two weeks of age, a little bit either side of it. So that puts us in the category of these foals that get bad rotococcus probably got pretty uh, pretty substantial inoculum within that first two weeks of life because the, the research has been done in that if foals after about two weeks in life are fairly immune unless there's an overwhelming challenge. So within that first two weeks, that becomes very important because that foal cannot mount um, adequate response. So we fast forward to about a month, six weeks, two months down the line, they'll start to show manifestations of disease. And that can be very serious in some situations and, and fatal. And at least 50% of foals that have pulmonary disease, the abscesses that we classically see, will actually have rotococcus in other areas of the body. They'll have abdominal abscesses, they'll have abscesses in vertebrae, long bones, um, sometimes subcutaneously, I've had them in lymph nodes in the head. I mean, rotococcus are pretty wily fox. But getting back to what I was sort of saying, I mean, the research on rotococcus has been driven looking at the immune system. And rotococcus equi is actually a very important organism also in human medicine as well because immune deficient people can actually get rotococcus equi. And so regrettably, there are, you know, with cancer, HIV, um, there are people that are actually suffering from rotococcus as well. And so that's put a real focus on this organism to say, hey, you know, what can we learn from human medicine? What can human medicine learn from veterinary medicine? Where we struggle with this is that there's currently not uh, a commercially available vaccine to protect yeah. these foals. Uh, what we try to do is um, uh, use plasma to actually boost the foal's immunity to see if we can um, get them over the period where they're susceptible. In some situations, that's successful. In some situations, it's not. And regrettably, in a lot of situations, we're actually dealing with clinical cases, uh, again, that are severe and require a lot of treatment. And these antibacterials, they cost money. And there's a downside to using them in some situations because anytime you give a horse an antibacterial, you run the risk of diarrhea. And also, the more we use antibacterials, the more we select for resistance with the very organism that we're trying to treat. And so we have to be judicious in how we use these. And ultrasound screening on the farms has actually become very popular, and it absolutely has a place. The thing we have to impress upon people is that you don't treat all the disease you see. And there will be a lot of foals that will have a small amount of disease and they will get through it. And you say, just keep your watch on these, just check them if the disease advance is you actually treat them, but you may find they spontaneously resolve. And any foal you don't have to treat with rotococcus is good because it means that the drugs will be preserved for the ones that we absolutely have to. Plus it's cheaper, you know, and it's really a case of we should only treat the ones that we feel confident that we have to. And there's a lot of pressure in a commercial situation to treat every lesion that is seen, but it's a case of discretion is a better part of valor. Mother was always right. You wanna treat the ones that you have to. And there is some very, there's some very good information out there on screening programs and what the breakpoint is for the for the foals that you need to treat versus the ones that you should sit back and watch. Today's Disease to Shore podcast is brought to you by Merck Animal Health's Regimate Alternagist. 
When it comes to delivering safe, predictable control over a mare's reproductive cycle, nothing compares to Regimate. Tried and true, Regimate is proven with 30 years of results and more than 50 million doses sold. That's something no generic can claim. Regimate is contraindicated for use in mares having a previous or current history of uterine inflammation. Review proper use and safe handling of Regimate. Avoid skin contact. Pregnant women or women who suspect they are pregnant should not handle this product. For complete safety information, read the label. You mentioned something that can get quite expensive. And again, thinking about the general practitioner at large that's, that's working with foals, so what do you say when the horse owner says, is it worth spending the money on this foal? Yeah, that's a great, uh, that's a great question. Um, livestock are always a better uh, proposition than dead stock, right? And uh, grew up on a dairy farm. So, you know, you always want to keep your animals alive because that's what kept you fed. Um, but I understand the commercial pressures that are in the industry. And, uh, you know, there are probably situations where people think, well, is it worth spending the money? But... I always sort of had the conversation, you bred this animal for a reason. You saw value of the, the mare and the stallion. Therefore, I think it's worth preserving your investment. You know, I always like to sort of think that um, a lot of people consider veterinarians to be a cost. I look as more as preserving investment, right? And the healthiest we can make this horse, the best for the animal, because we're all interested in animal welfare, but ultimately the best for you, because... Nobody wants to do um, nobody wants to do less than the best job, and I understand when people say it's worth spending the money. And here we do have those conversations, and with some very sick animals, we do make that business decision uh, to euthanize the animal when um, treatment looks like it's not going to really be in the best interest of everybody. And that's a conversation that we need to have. And that's no fault on anybody's. I mean, people should never feel bad about having that conversation with the veterinarian because ultimately we want the best for the animal. We want the best for the client. And sometimes the best for the client and the animal is to let that animal go. And again, I, I, the reason I thought about that in particular was because I know veterinarians who've been in the position of a rescue, took in an animal, didn't even know it was pregnant or an owner oh, took yeah. in an animal. And they really didn't plan for this pregnancy. And then you've got a sick foal and at what point do your marginal resources that you have to spend get spent on that sick foal? So that's why I brought that up. Yeah. And that's a good thing to bring up. And yeah, when people are looking to breed their horses and yeah, I work in a big breeding area. So these decisions are made for different reasons, but you know, you always want to have that conversation and to sort of say, yeah, does this fit with the plan? You know, I mean, is this really going to go the way you want it to? You know, and, you know, ultimately, I mean, we want people to stay in business and we want people to be able to do the best job that they can. And you're looking to deploy your resources. Sometimes you're going down a road where you're not going to save the animal. And it's a very expensive road to go down there. And all that's really going to do is, yeah, I mean, it's going to deplete their resources and it's going to actually be very emotionally challenging for a lot of people to watch this animal suffer. And nobody wants to see that. And so sometimes the kindest thing to do is to let them go. And as you mentioned, in a rescue situation, um, you know, I was lucky enough to work with um, welfare when I was in Pennsylvania and some of those situations you know, we could have some great successes by uh, treating these animals. And sometimes it was just simple management changes or appropriate management being applied and these animals blossomed. But there's some situations where it just got to the point where it wasn't fair anymore. 
And, you know, we all have to sleep at night and live with our decisions. But I don't think there was ever a time when everybody sat around and talked about things objectively that we didn't all walk away saying we did the right thing by letting that animal go. So no should ever feel guilty about having that conversation. Right. And I just wanted to bring that up because I know a lot of veterinarians do donate their time to, you know, those types of things and may, may or may not see foals very often except in those situations. But back to people who are breeding foals for mm -hmm. a business and want these foals, is there anything else that veterinarians should be watching for with these foals after they're born? Yeah, okay. Um, again, uh, behavior, is the foal associated with the mare? Is it hitting its marks as far as growth rate goes? And, you know, there's, the nutrition companies have growth curves for what these foals should be doing. Um, as far as other conditions to be um, uh, wary of, we talked about rotococcus. But that foal in the first months of its life gets a lot of other challenges. The foal is born with a sterile gut. Within 30 days, its uh, gut microflora approximates that of the mare. So there's a huge amount of stuff that goes on with the gut. And we talked about lungs, and we'll talk a little bit more about respiratory disease later. But the, the GI changes in these foals are huge. So you go from a foal that is initially on milk, and then with a rapid period of time, it have to actually transition to be at least partially a herbivore. Part of that, and again, this wigs a lot of owners out if they're not used to having horses, the foals consuming the mare's feces, right? Which actually completely blows people's minds when they see that. And, you know, I have this foal in the, in the clinic and someone comes in to see the, the animal and they says, aren't you going to stop the foal doing that? And it says, how do you think it's going to develop an appropriate flora its absolute best source of organisms is what's coming out of the mare. They share the same environment. They're going to go back to the same environment. That is the best flora for that foal. And so you have the foal heat diarrhea, which you know is a huge misnomer because all that is is saying at about that period of time, that 10 to 14 day window, that foal is going to undergo quite a change in its flora as these organisms it's taken in from the environment and actually the feces that it's contacted changes over to give it the ability to start to digest cellulose and also establish a flora of, the, of organisms that's going to provide some of the other things that it needs that it can't get nutritionally. Because really you're feeding the horse, you're feeding the flora in its bowel that to some degree feeds the horse as well. I mean, this is one big ecosystem in there. Sometimes you ask yourself the question, you know, who is the patient, the person or the horse or what's in the gut, right? Because ultimately everybody has to be in balance and the good guys have to be there. And establishing that normal flora is going to help that foal deal with all the pathogens that comes across because it's going to come across rotavirus, going to come across other bacterial causes of diarrhea. I mean, until that normal flora is established, the foal is susceptible to some, um, some pretty severe upsets. And so you want that foal to establish it. So I'd like to see the foals sampling the mare's feed, nosling around doing the things we talked about staying on that mare and usually then gi wise unless they are in a situation where they're very stressed they're usually pretty close to okay and in an intensive management system like i work in yeah you know, there's a lot of pressure there's a lot of mares and foals mixing all the time and sometimes there's transient mares and foals going off the farm and so there'll be infectious challenges that come in viral or bacterial but the higher you can raise that barrier by establishing a normal flora the better as far as other respiratory things to think about, I mean, we mentioned rotavirus, but there's various viral things that go around. I mean, herpes virus, um, you know, most things you can actually vaccinate for. But there's a number of bacterial things as well, especially strep zoo, pastorella. I mean, there's a number of other things. And that comes down to 
um, air quality, hygiene in the environment, minimizing dust, um, you know, minimizing any particular irritants in the environment, molds and pollens, uh, making sure your bedding is clean, uh, making sure that the ventilation in the barn is good, making sure that you get these animals as much turnout as is practical. Um, even when it's cold, they're better to be a little bit cold and have fresh air than to be warm and have bad air because I'll tell you who's going to get sick um, before the other ones. And it's really just a case of providing the best possible environment you can, the cleanest environment you can. And you learn a lot. You go into these barn situations where there may be sick foals. And, you know, you know yourself as soon as you walk in, your eyes start to run, you start to, you know, starts to, and people look at you so they can't understand what's wrong. So get on your hands and knees where the foal is spending most of its time and see what it smells like down there. Because sometimes the ammonia, and it builds up very quickly, is actually an issue. And so you learn a lot by walking to that barn, you know, just putting your sort of veterinary knowledge to one side and just to say, okay, husbandry-wise, how would I like to be managed if I was this foal? You know, what sort of air would I like? What sort of access to feed would I like? What sort of turnout would I like? And then a lot of these problems will go away and you won't see people like me because the foal's healthy and that's okay. Yeah, and, and I love the fact you mentioned that get down because foals spend so much time laying down and the ammonia yep. is heavy and it, it yep. tends to be down on that foal's level more. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it's just clean, cleanliness. I mean, yeah, they do not live in a sterile environment. And I'm not saying you should scrub everything down every day, but, you know, a little bit of common sense with ventilation and keeping things clean and just letting them be horses and you know, not confining them as much as practical can solve a lot of issues. And let's let's skip over now and uh, talk about mares. So mm -hmm. you've got a mare that's foaled. Yep. And she ain't doing right. I mean, that's, right. that's what you hear a lot of times when somebody will call, as you mentioned with the foals. So yep. what are your first steps there? Yeah, absolutely. If this foal's been doing okay through gestation, all of a sudden has an issue post-foaling, that is uh, problematic. Um, again, if she starts running a fever, um, foul-smelling, uh, vulval discharge, if there's any hint at all, there's any placenta retained, again, getting back to what I said previously, look at that placenta and make sure it's all there. You know, you can lay it out and like, and you know, you should have the horns, right? And they look like the end of a sock, right? If you look at that and the end's missing off the sock, you know, you got a problem, yeah. right? And just make sure it's there and it looks appropriate because that placenta is, a, is a, a very good representation of what's going on with the uterus, but the mare systemically, fevers and appetence, any sign of abdominal discomfort. And some mares get a bit crampy after they fall. I mean, let's face it, look what they've just done. I mean, I don't know how foals fit in mares. I don't know how they get them out, but they seem to, right? Because this foal looks too big to have come out. I'm sure they go like a puffer fish when they come out and blow up. But, you know, it's an explosive process and things can go wrong. You can have uterine tears. You can have uh, mucosal tears in the in the vagina and also the uterus. You can have uh, retained placenta. You can have inverted horns. All of those things um, that can cause an issue fairly quickly. And that hole in the uterus can... Uh, cause a peritonitis to develop. Sometimes you can bruise some bowel as the foal's coming out as it sort of crushes some gut against the wall of the pelvis as it comes out. I mean, there's a lot of things that can go wrong. When that mare has that foal, if she is not attentive to that foal, if she's not eating, she's not drinking, if she's not defecating appropriately, if she doesn't have an adequate amount of milk, if that foal's healthy and that foal's banging that mare's out of the whole time looking for a feed, I'm having a huge look at that mare because she is set up to produce milk for that foal. And so she's not providing for that foal. She's trying to look after herself. And if she's trying to look after herself, 
either she was not in a good state to fall when you started or something very badly has gone wrong. So fever, discomfort, and appetence. Any one of those in the mare has got me looking at her closely. And again, any foul-smelling vulval discharge, any hint that there has been a piece of placenta left in there, huge red flags. And what about immediately? I know we all hear the, the horror stories about mares who rupture their uterine arteries. Yeah. Um, what is it that you should do during foaling and immediately after to help that mare? Right. Yeah. If the mare is going to rupture her uterine artery, there's not really a lot you can do to prevent that. And it's thought to be potentially an age thing. And people say it doesn't have the maiden mares. I beg to differ because I've seen a few maiden mares in my career so far that first foal and they bled. But older mares um, absolutely can be an issue. If there's any history that mares done that before, and that's another question to ask, or people will ask about us managing their foaling. Says, okay, she had any problems before? Well, sometimes they remember, sometimes they don't. It says, well, yeah, but that was a couple of years ago. She's going to be fine. Well, not necessarily. I've had mares bleed, never do it again. I've had mares bleed, be okay, bleed, be okay. I mean, they can do whatever they want, but at least if you know if the history is good, you know that that's the mare you have to keep an eye on. So your first indication probably if that mare is actually starting to bleed, and sometimes they can bleed before they start to fall, but they don't get up. Or if they do get up, they don't stay up for long and their heart rate gets very high and their membranes get pale and they get sort of shaking and they start to sweat on their flanks. And sometimes they start to do some very abnormal vocalise or they do the flaming response, you know, when they twist their upper lip up and twist their head to the side. If I see any of that sort of stuff in the mirror in the immediate postpartum period, I'm starting to have a real close look at her that maybe she's had a bit of a bleed. And I'm lucky and I can throw the ultrasound on the mare and sort of see blood in the abdomen or I can um, scan the uterus or palpate her just to say, hey, there's a hematoma here. Because sometimes they bleed into the broad ligament, not into their abdomen. It's contained, in which case that's a bit of a ticking bomb, but potentially you can manage them through that. But if they're already bleeding into the peritoneal cavity, the thing with bleeding mares is we go for a medical treatment of a surgical problem. If you and I were bleeding like that, they'd have a abdomen wrapped up tight and then some surgeon would be in there looking inside us to tie something off that is not possible with with mares the amount of blood that's in there and the rapidity that it happens doesn't give us that luxury we're trying to medically manage them and part of medically managing them is controlling their discomfort giving them a little bit of fluid support and giving them things to stabilize any clot they can form but the first red flag is i do not get up after folding properly or if i do i'm colicky don't stay up for long sweaty, high heart rate, pale membranes. Okay. And what else are you looking for in this mare? The foal's doing good, but what might you watch for the mare? Because honestly, a lot of people, especially if they're not doing foals a lot, owners, when they're telling their vets what's going on, they're paying 99% attention to the foal because yep. they keep foal. What should you be helping owners look for with those mares? Great. We talked about problems in the immediate postpartum period, right? So in the period um, um, after, you know, placental passage, again, I mentioned earlier, that should be passed within about 30 minutes. After three hours, you can consider it's retained, in which case, you know, sometimes a little bit of oxytocin can fix that problem. Sometimes, if you're not happy with the mare generally, this is the time you get your veterinarian to have a bit of a look and sort of say, hey, you know, let's just initiate a management program here. You know, give the mare a little bit of coverage with some antibacterials, some anti-inflammatories, do things to try to encourage that placenta to be passed. 
because the, the big problem is right barring a bleed barring a hole in the uterus things that will actually give you problems pretty quickly we have to worry about uh, that placenta being retained inducing metritis which will make the mare very ill but also we've got to think about a feet right laminitis and that again is the important thing about make sure that placenta is all there because that small little piece of placenta can sometimes end up tripping that mare into a laminitis and then that is a bad day for everybody so in that immediate postpartum period does she get up and do the right things past the placenta? Is she having problems that make you sort of think she's bleeding or has another, like a GI issue where she's bruised and bowel? But over those next few days, um, is there damage to the vagina, which is causing an infection? Is there damage to the uterus, which is causing infection? Does she actually have a bleed that is contained, a broad ligament hematoma? Sometimes they will actually get infected and abscess. Um, or in the situation where she has damaged some bowel, three to four days down the line, sometimes they've just bruised the bowel, but it slowly starts to die off and slowly starts to get leaky. So I'm looking for appetite, milk production, lack of fever, interest in the foal. Anything of the, any one of those are missing in that first three to four days, I'm starting to look at the things we just talked about. Has she damaged some gut? Has she got a uterine problem there, which was um, a gathering problem, not an immediate problem? That's what I look for. And talking about the mare generally, the best way to get a healthy foal is to have a healthy mare. And regrettably, I get a lot of late pregnant mares presented to me that have feet problems, that have terrible teeth, that are underweight, and, and or they have metabolic issues. The time to actually set that mare up for success and to set that foal up to success is before you even breed her. Right? If you want to breed this mare, it says, okay, we're going to fix her teeth out. We're going to make sure her feet are okay. We're going to make sure she has no underlying disease conditions that may hold her back. And if we're having trouble getting her pregnant, I'm going to look at that mare from an endocrine standpoint and metabolic standpoint. Is she Cushingoid if she's older? Has she got metabolic syndrome? Um, if she's sort of early to middle-aged, does she have Cushing's and metabolic syndrome if she's you know mid to late teens? So you set yourself up for success with that foal by getting the healthiest mare possible. And when you're sort of seven, eight, nine months gestation, that's not the time to try to manage these problems. The trying to manage these problems is to actually, when you're thinking about breeding that mare, because if you make that healthy mare, she gets in foal quicker, she has a better pregnancy, she gives you a better foal, and you know, you're in a better position to breed her back again next year. And just briefly, I, I, I don't think we have time to really go into it, but when you're talking about getting ready to breed a mare, there are genetic diseases in certain breeds that yeah care careful of yeah and yeah you know, there's some great information out there i mean the quarter horse has been very proactive um with this a lot of genetic testing um, that's available and again you know set, set yourself up for success i mean we don't want to produce a foal which has an issue we want the healthiest foal we can and sometimes that's all part of making that decision to breed i mean the whole point of breeding these animals is to improve the breed we just don't want a horse we want the horse and the best way to get that is to actually make sure that you've eliminated all the problems you can. Make sure the mare is, is um, worthy of being bred. Get her as healthy as you can. Look after her through gestation. Hover over her when she has that foal and make sure that foal kicks its heels up and disappears over the hill because it's so damn healthy. Well, and on that note, I'm going to thank you, Dr. Morrissey, for being our guest on today's episode of Disease Du Jour. And we want to thank our listeners for joining us today, and a special thanks to our 2020 sponsor, Merck Animal Health. We invite you to visit equimanagement.com's latest disease du jour episodes and take our surveys so we know how to better serve you in our podcast. If you have any questions or suggestions, you also can send me an email to kbrown 
at aimmedia.com. Disease Du Jour is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of the Equine Network.